Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about how to remember the difference between cavalry and calvary. And because it's B week, I have a meaty middle with all sorts of fascinating history and tidbits about the script's national spelling bee. Last week, I mentioned that the definition of the word troop often includes something about it being a unit of cavalry. And I had to re-record that part quite a few times because I kept mispronouncing it as cavalry. The word for troops who ride horses is cavalry. You can trace its origin back to the Latin word cabalarius, or maybe cabalarius, not quite sure how to pronounce that. But the word meant horsemen, and it's also one origin of the word chivalry. Calvary is the name of a holy site in Christianity. It's the name of the hill where Jesus is believed to have been crucified. Big difference. (laughs) About the only way I can seem to get myself to pronounce cavalry right is to think of the word cavalier first and sort of set my brain on the cava part. Although today we're most likely to use cavalier as an adjective to describe someone who's haughty or disdainful, it was used earlier as a noun to describe a horseman, especially one who was a soldier. A man in the cavalry was called a cavalier, much the same way that someone who works in finance is called a financier, and someone who climbs mountains can be called a mountaineer. So if you have trouble remembering the difference, too, think of the sentence, the cavalry was cavalier, and that should help you get it right. Next, I have a special treat because I have an interview with Paige Kimball, the executive director of the Scripps National Spelling Bee, during what is a very busy week for everyone at the Bee, and we're going to learn about the history of the Bee, why people are so drawn to spelling bees, why it's hard to make sure the words are of equal difficulty, and what glory awaits the winner. Paige, thank you so much for talking with me today during the busy, busy bee week. You're welcome. Thank you. Glad to join you. Sure. So I'm especially interested in the history of the bee. I have this vague feeling that it has something to do with Noah Webster. (laughs) So can you sort of give me a history of, of how we got spelling bees? Yes. Well, what we know is that several hundred years ago, even just a few hundred years ago, there was a lot of disorder in our language. There were uh, 
so many different ways to spell words. And Noah Webster is the person who stepped in and decided to impart some order and standardization to our language. And uh, people uh, welcomed um, the order that he brought to it. And from that arose spelling bees. And what we know historically is, is it really arose originally as a party game, a social event for adults. And over time, it filtered down into the schools for children. And then in 1925, the National Spelling Bee was founded. Oh, how how neat. So it's almost come full circle because I know now, um, you know, the American Copy Editor Society meeting has a spelling bee for fun at their annual convention. And I think even some bars have spelling bees. So <laughs> adults are getting into it again. <laughs> yes, they do. And uh, I'm often asked, you know, why is this? And if you think about it, it's because everyone who's literate, and happily, that's most of us, we spell all the time, uh, every day, um, often hourly. And so it's uh, somewhere between a game and a requirement of functioning in our language. And so when you see a spelling bee on television or when you're asked to be a part of one, it's one of the most accessible things you can do because we do it all the time. Right. And so it seems to me like the spelling bee is a much bigger event than it was when I was a child. Can you talk to me about sort of the growth of the the National Spelling Bee as an event that it's become? Yes. So the first National Spelling Bee in 1925 involved uh, spelling champions from nine cities. And it grew steadily for several decades, all the way up to the early 80s, when actually our pronouncer, Dr. Bailey, and I were spellers in the B, and there were about 112 national finalists then. And then over the course of the 80s, the number of national finalists doubled, and so did the opportunities for kids everywhere across the nation to participate. And with uh, the the doubling of the number of kids participating in the B at the local and national level, there came stiffer competition and a bigger spotlight. Uh, the B began to be broadcast on ESPN. That, by the way, was 25 years ago. And so more and more people have become familiar with it. It's acquired more prestige, um, a higher uh, level of pop culture status along with it. So it's an interesting journey that the spelling bee has been on. Neat. And, and I always thought of it as a national event, but, and I have international listeners to the podcast and I was looking at your website and I saw you had a, a winner from Jamaica a few years ago. So do you, are international students allowed to participate? Okay. So our records uh, indicate that the first time we had a student um, participate in the national finals who resided outside the United States was in 1976. He was actually an American. Uh, his parents were missionaries in Brazil. And over the course of, oh, a couple of decades, on a very non-strategic basis, um, the bee began accommodating more uh, American children who were living abroad, and those children attended international schools um, with children from many different nations, and they said, we want to do the spelling bee too. So all of a sudden, we were welcoming children from these international schools where we had initially made accommodations 
were American expats. And then coinciding with that too has been the global trend of English language learning. So an interesting stat, this actually comes from the British Council, is that by 2020, there will be almost 2 billion people in the world speaking or learning English. Only 350 million of them roughly are in the United States. So there are just so many people around the world learning English. And when you learn English, you play games with the language. And one of the most accessible games is a spelling bee. So yes, we do hear from people all over the world. Wonderful. So one thing I've always wondered when I watch the bee is how do you ensure that the words are of approximately equal difficulty in one round? Is there like a word rating system or something like that that helps you make sure that they're all even? (laughs) Um, You've uh, touched on uh, probably our most challenging task. And here's, here's the deal is that what is difficult to one person may not be difficult to another. And that's because our culture, where we live, our basis of experience, um, our personal interest govern um, what we consider difficult. Um, It's more than just the length of the the word, the number of symbols, the language of origin. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. And if you were to ask me to spell the word frijoles, I would think that that's an easy word. If uh, you were to ask a child, let's say from Vermont, to spell frijoles, it might be more challenging. And so when when we um, as an organization go about the business of trying to level set the words, it's a challenge because we don't know to whom the words are going to go. Right. Is there any kind of general consensus about what makes a word especially hard to spell? Or is it is it just it depends on the person, like you just said? Well, it it can depend on a child's um, basis of experience. Sometimes it can be the length. Uh, Keeping uh, everything straight can be a challenge. Sometimes the the one syllable, four or five letter words are actually the most difficult. And uh, sometimes uh, words that have no known origin are also very difficult because spellers come to rely on um, discerning the language of origin to figure out if there's a spelling pattern from that language that they can apply to their spelling. Oh, that's interesting. It must be such a great sort of lifelong um, skill that kids are building as they study, you know, the origins of words and etymology and and patterns in different languages. You know, people who play Scrabble, people who play competitive Scrabble, sometimes it's almost as much about um, sort of rote memorization or math as it is about spelling. Do you find that, you know, are the are there strategies for studying that relate to the words and their meanings themselves? Or do the winners tend to just sort of, you know, hardcore memorize everything? What are the different spelling strategies that students use to prepare for the B? That's a great question. And, and what we know is that usually how a speller studies evolves over time. So 
most begin um, with a teacher handing out a list of words. And um, they say spelling bees next week. Uh, these are the, this is our word list. And so the child goes home and goes about the business of memorizing and then asks mom or dad to uh, drill them on, on the spelling. And so that is what people think of when they think of participating in the spelling bee, um, because that's the kind of study activity that goes on um, at the school level, the county level. But kids who uh, win their regional bees and do well at the national finals have to step it up to a different level because I've yet to meet the child who's said, I've memorized the dictionary. I'm still waiting for that to happen. And so they have to devise shortcuts and a shortcut or many shortcuts, learning uh, Greek and Latin roots and learning about how spellings um, take place in different languages that have contributed to the English language. So that if you were asked to spell in the Scripps National Spelling Bee, a word of German origin, you know how German, German spellings um, appear and you're going to apply that knowledge. Or if, let's say, you were asked to spell um, andouille as an andouille sausage and you ask Dr. Bailey what's the language of origin and he says French, you're going to have a pretty good idea of that because this is from French and it has that ooey ending on the end, it's probably I-L-L-E. And so these are the things that the national level champion spellers do to um, fast track themselves to the highest levels of competition. That's wonderful. Actually, Andouille is a word I had a terrible time spelling once when someone <laughs> gave me a recipe verbally. <laughs> so that's a funny example. So very, very soon we will know who this year's winner is. So can you tell me what glory awaits the winner? How does how does winning change a, a child's life? Well, Winning is is all about getting uh, recognition for hard work. Um, the the winner will be someone who has dedicated a very long period of time, perhaps even years, to uh, study on a disciplined basis. They've really put in their hours. They they've put in their work, and when you do that, you want a good pat on the back, and they're going to get a huge pat on the back from national media, local media, they're gonna to go to New York City and appear on uh, Live, Live with Kelly. Uh, they're gonna go out to LA and uh, appear on Jimmy Kimmel Live um, and, and so much more. And so they're gonna get a lot of recognition. Uh, they may be called upon, let's say, by the, the nearest Major League Baseball team um, near their hometown to come and throw out a pitch at a baseball game this summer. All these things happen. They may become uh, the grand marshal of a parade. And so they're going to have a lot of fun, unique experiences along the way, and they're going to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. One of the things that um, we find is commentary from people during um, B Week is is around when will these kids ever use these words again? These are ridiculous words from the nether reaches of the English language. Why are you doing this to kids? What's the value? And what people need to know as, as you watch the national finals on television is that 11 million kids across the nation 
entered the contest this year. And what you are seeing on television involves the top 10 to top 50 of those 11 million. So that's roughly the top 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. I could go on with several other zeros, 0.26% um, um, of upper percent of the participant speller population. And so all those great words that kids need for vocabulary and college and careers are being offered now at the regional B level. So it's a real good news story for the nation that all those uh, great words that kids need to know are being learned and offered to kids at the regional B level so that by the time you get to the national finals, the only way you're gonna produce a champion is to go to the nether reaches of our language. Thank you so much for, for talking with me today about the B. I can't wait to see all the kids compete and find out you know, who the winner is in the end. Yeah, same here. And I just wanna thank you for all your contributions to our Beehive newsletters. The teachers love them. And so do I. It's great. Yes, yes. I learned <laughs> oh, a lot from Oh, that's great to well. hear. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that for us. Thanks again to Paige Kimball, the executive director of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. And if you're in the U.S. and listening to this right when we release it, you should still be able to catch the final rounds of the Bee on ESPN. And if you're wondering what she was talking about at the end, I've been providing Grammar Girl tips for their teacher's beehive email newsletter for years because I love the spelling bee and I love the spelling bee mission in general. And that's a wrap. Here's a shout out to David who listens while walking his dog in Juanita Beach near Seattle. And thank you to Basscaster who left a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like an ad-free version of this podcast and a monthly bonus episode, subscribe to Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com grammar and use the code grammar for a free one-month trial. I just finished the next bonus episode, which comes out next week, and it's a fascinating conversation with the host of the Great Moments in Weed History podcast about the many words for marijuana. I'm Mignon Fogarty. You can find all my old podcasts and articles at quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.